Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. This podcast is brought to you by Innate. We hear it from our podcast guests frequently. Today's capital projects require the highest degree of visibility. That's why we at the Project Chatter podcast want to tell you about construction project management software from Innate. It's software that integrates every aspect of your project and puts you in control. Innate's cloud-based solutions provide a connected data flow that improves efficiency and guides better outcomes across the entire project lifecycle. See what Innate software can do for your next construction project. Learn more at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Plan Academy is the world's leading learning site for anyone working in construction, project management, or project controls. At Plan Academy, you learn construction, planning, and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced construction scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and at your own pace. You can learn at the office, at site, from home, anywhere. Get $75 off any Plan Academy course by visiting planacademy.com forward slash chatter that's planacademy.com forward slash c-h-a-t-t-e-r hey everyone this episode is brought to you by justdo.com justdo is a great business and project management tool we've been using here at project chatter i agree val i like to keep things simple and justdo is perfect for that but i do know it's got a lot of powerful functionality as well and one of my favorites is the task specific chat Absolutely. And for all you slackers, don't wait for Monday. Check out justdo.com. Now on with the pod. Hello, project people. You're listening to the Project Chatter podcast, your number one trusted source of project experts. I am your host, Val Matthews. And as always, I'm joined by Mr. Dale Fung. Hello, Val. Hello, listeners. Are, are, we, are we really number one? I think we are. I think always. we decided we are. So yes. I think we have to be now. All day, every day. <laughs> Number one, maybe just in audio form for now, um, but I'm with you, mate. And just a reminder for those who are listening to hit that subscribe button on whichever platform you listen to your good podcasts on or our, I can't say new anymore, YouTube channel where you can get our full podcast and our guest bonus Q&A. And the guest bonus Q&A is 10 rapid questions. I don't know if anyone's seen them. They're quite fun. Um, and if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, you can get in touch with us via our website, projectchatterpodcast.com. And you probably notice if you're watching the video, I am in a different strange place, but we can talk about that later. But let's get on with it. In this pod, we're joined by Warren Beardle, and we're going to talk about top project frustrations and how to drive continuous self-development, which is a big passion of mine. So I'm looking forward to this. Hi, Warren. Welcome to the show, mate. Thank you. Glad to be here. No, it's our pleasure. As usual, uh, we're great to have you on the show um, before we get into the thick of it, here is Dale with your bio. Thank you, Val. So let's get straight into it. Projects to Warren are principally associated with the construction industry. He worked for 25 years within the construction-related insurance industry. Three years ago, Warren made a decision to reset his career. He joined a consulting practice offering specialist risk, internal control, and assurance advice to large-scale 
construction, and professional service providers. He also opted to return to university and read a mid-career MSc in project management, finance, and risk. Graduating with distinction in late 2020 and invigorated to bring a fresh challenge to the long-standing project paradox that plagues our industry. A lot of P's there, Warren. Mm. (laughs) Thank you for that. Uh, Career project experience was predominantly centered around public-private partnerships. Oh, a few more P's. Advising senior debt lenders, project equity, special purpose vehicles, government entities, or construction contractors. UK, PFI, US, and Canadian P3, Turkish, and European PPP. We're going to get into all of those P's and all of those acronyms in a second. (laughs) This experience became the centerpiece of his MSc dissertation. The interim conclusions of this ongoing research is that partnerships were never truly there. And that this is deemed no different in our wider construction endeavor. The suggested answer to the paradox is that projects are either set up to collaborate or they are set up to fail. That is what he is here to discuss. Wow. That is a great setup, and I am glad I managed to get through that. Um, thank you for giving me such poetic um, literature Please. to try and recite, um, shall we say. But welcome to the pod, Warren. Um, it's great to have you. We've been exchanging plenty of messages back and forth on various topics and subjects. I know you've provided us some valuable feedback along the journey on the podcast as well, um, You know, so appreciate that. And we are so happy to have you here to share everything rather than just uh, you know messages going back and forth between us but how are you today how are you feeling yeah i'm uh, i'm delighted to be here thanks uh, so much for for inviting me along this one feels like uh, fan zone uh, it feels like sort of the fan fighting <laughs> video so uh, <laughs> thank you for the uh, the kind introduction and no. uh, apologies if the poetry was a bit too um uh, verbose no, that is a good challenge, and um, it, it's possibly the other way around as well, because you know you you are quite active uh, on LinkedIn and and other places, and it's fascinating some of the thoughts that you put out there. And so, you know, I, I'd say Val and I are fans of of what you know you're trying to provoke as well in terms of um, getting people to think a little bit more about what they're doing. So we'll get into that. I know that's sort of a bit of a uh, secret squirrel message there, but um, <laughs> we'll get into that too. But um, there's so much. I mean, our our topic is top project project frustrations and continuous self improvement. And you know, obviously, the continuous self improvement, but is around how you reset, as you say, your career in terms of trying to get in and study and and continue to study and and observe and collect information and data and evolve and perhaps a bit of insight into that can allow others out there to take a look at themselves and their own careers and how they might add and advance in that space. Uh, We'll also touch, I guess, a little bit about you put a poll out recently that we can discuss as well, um, those results. We promised um, those that do follow us on on LinkedIn and and other spaces that we do that. So we'll get into that as well. But there's also um, a lot of project frustrations that you have too. But before we kind of um, get into all of that, the the question that 
I love to ask our guests is how did you get into the project space? I know we sort of touched a little bit in your bio there, but a lot of people we speak to, whether you're in project management or, and, and perhaps it's not as common today, but project management and particularly controls and PMO, people tend to fall into the space. They typically start off as engineers, some perhaps in finance, and then they just find themselves in project management or project controls or PMO. What was it for you? How, how did you land into the space? Um, well, I, I, I guess to some extent it depends how you're defining projects as to, to what I've fallen into because I, I think that's one of the, 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 the immediate observations about any discussion like that. Um, and that's, that's probably an issue that I, that I run into quite regularly in dialogue, particularly on LinkedIn, that a lot of people talk about projects and project management. Um, but it's such a wide subject that it can sometimes um, be um, a few sentences into a conversation before you realise you're actually you're talking about different things within the framework of you know what people think is a project and what project management is. But what I fell into was construction, and what I fell into within that was construction risk, and that that came about um, when I graduated and found myself needing a job um, and um, being invited to. Um, interview as an insurance broker um, in London and having moved into um, that sort of decision space, if you like, that's kind of what I fell into. I fell into insurance. But uh, very quickly, uh, it's then insurance of what? And for me, it was the insurance of um, construction projects. So so by extension, you know, um, my, my life has probably revolved around um, project risk in the context of construction um, pretty much since university the first time around. Um, but much more recently, um, I've sort of moved out of insurance and more into um, a consulting context of construction insurance or construction projects and project risk. Um, and it's probably only after having gone back to university for a second time and done this master's in project management, finance and risk, that maybe I'm sort of feeling a bit more confident in myself to actually start addressing some of the the bigger questions and bigger issues mm. that you've you've started to allude to there, um, and and if I'm active on LinkedIn, it's it's only because I'm I'm still trying to learn more and just you know, for me, just asking the questions that um, I think still need to be um, asked to be answered um, in a more cohesive um, um, way, um, and essentially from a, a position of strength, meaning that projects are working. Because best I can tell, um, they're not. Yeah. Um, in terms of you know, if, if you're measuring success by <clears throat> uh, the classic iron triangle of time, cost, quality, um, um, very rarely do you get all three of those um, over the line in a way that people will actually deem them to be a success. And and it's not me saying that. It's you know that's you know the the, the latest work that's coming out from Oxford Syed University. Um, the business school, um, um, Bent Fleischberg and, and, and all those guys and girls are, uh, are saying, you know, the, the, the actual three-way tick on that may actually be as little as 0.5% yeah. um, of projects are, you know, um, successful on those three metrics. And, and if that's the case, how can we be reporting um, um, to have best practice nailed on what project management, project risk and, and um uh, managing people um, really, really, really looks like. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's plenty of evidence, um, you know, if you look at various studies to suggest how poor we actually are at project success 
as you say, depending on how you measure it. And maybe one thing is that we got our measures incorrect. Um, but before we go down too many rabbit holes, I just wanted mm. to touch on, you mentioned risk and insurance. How does that link or dovetail or doesn't it into what we understand in the project world as risk management? Does it link in, um, in into what we do or is it something completely different that we're um, trying to ensure? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's part of, it's part of that same setup. It's it, it's a it's a but it's an end piece of the wider risk profile in a project. And if we are talking specifically about a project, the key insurances that you're typically going to be dealing with, and that you perhaps see, you know, if, if you're actually um, uh, doing the construction as opposed to sort of sitting behind a desk um, uh, uh, measuring it. Um, you are looking at the physical damage or the risk of physical damage. You are looking at potentially the uh, the potential of, of delay, particularly where you've got lenders involved and there's there's debt service to worry about thereafter. Um, or developers are worried about when they can start letting tenants in, etc. Um, and you've got liabilities associated with the delivery of the project, um, both in terms of third party liabilities when you're looking at uh, impact to the surrounding property and other people. Um, but also from a from a context of professional liability, particularly where you're looking at design and build, or you're looking at the separate architect's role um, in the projects. So, so the insurance interface is really sort of just the the end of, if you like, the 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 the, the whole series of considerations about the financial securities associated with a project, um, and that's and that's the interface. So, so we would often see. You know, we we would see the projects being set up, but but you only actually see just how wrong they've gone, um, and just how um, divided opinion is in terms of where progress was at, um, and um, and what's actually you know been causation. You only see that real divide once there's been a significant enough claim that that everybody is looking at everyone else to say it's your fault. Um, so 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 it, it is the same thing, but it's just it's just that sort of much it, it's that end piece whereas the consultancy work we do is much more focused on the upfront setup mm-hmm. um and and how you're actually dealing with the internal control environment um to um to to try and better manage um the setup of of, of, of the projects before those risks um, um uh, uh, materialize no thanks for for sort of um sharing that just, just for those that weren't sure if it was something totally different or not, actually, no, it's quite similar. In fact, yeah, it, it, it's same. just part yeah. of it uh, in exactly the same way as if you're talking about um, liquidated and ascertained damages, or you're talking about the indemnity provisions in a contract, um, or or you're you're, you're talking about um, the responsibility for employees. Um, it, it, it's just part of that wider conversation. No, absolutely. Thanks. Um, okay, so you touched a little bit. Um, around some of the frustrations that you're picking up there and um i mean you know when val and i originally started this podcast we said we're just going to rent you know south african australian getting on just ranting about you know this is shit that is shit we should do it all differently it's all doomed no it's not all doomed but the point being is the more we challenge the status quo the more we can find ways to improve and i know that part of your studies and your self-improvement, um, you went around and you interviewed um, various people. <laughs> I was I was fortunate to be one of them. I don't know why you chose me, but thank <laughs> you. Um, so I, I wonder just on that learning journey and as you challenged and, and went through that, 
what that ex- I guess firstly what that experience was like um, because often people don't know how to challenge and, and how you went about that and I know this was kind of linked to studies mm. but there is a technique isn't there to trying to be a little bit provocative but not being offensive um, but then also what the results were um, from from, yeah. from that whole okay. exercise yeah okay so so uh, I mean just for uh, for, for, for general understanding because the the, the the dissertation subject matter that I was um, addressing um, very much went back to what I understood best, which was public-private partnerships or PFI in the UK. And so a lot of the people that I was speaking to were actually sort of people that I knew having worked with them um, or advised them um, or, or on occasion, you know, sat the opposite side of a table to them um, in these sorts of projects. And so for if it if, if, if anyone is, is unfamiliar with uh, what public-private partnerships are, um, perhaps that's the place to start. Um, mm. um, th- this is a pretty much a, um, a global uh, means now that is used I- I- as a procurement strategy where um, government is wanting the private sector to um, design, build, um, uh, find the financing um, and uh, have the long-term operational responsibility for the delivery of public sector assets. And that's typically um, social infrastructure, meaning um, schools, um, hospitals, um, prisons, that sort of thing. But it can also be economic um, infrastructure, um, such as um, road, rail, (coughs) um, airports um, um, in other countries. Um, And in different countries, it's called different things. So um, P3 in North America, um, PPP, I think, in Australia, Val. Um, yeah, certainly sort of um, um, in Latin America, it's PPP. Um, but, but, but in all of those countries, it's the same premise that you're bringing private sector money um, into uh, the delivery of these projects or the, the financing of these projects. And it's only once they've been constructed by a construction um, contractor that the operational phase moves into the, the period that the government is paying the private sector entity, the special purpose vehicle, for the delivery of those services and um so the um this the situation with those projects i mean in the uk we we, we ended up with about 730 projects delivered on this uh, procurement model from probably the mid 90s um probably sort of in its heyday it was running through to maybe about 2005 we were we were sort of seeing 60 70 projects a year um and and by 2018 when her uh, stumps were pulled on it uh, like I say, there were about 730 projects. And, and what happened? What happened with PPP was every time there was a general election, um, it was the it was the it was the first thing that people were able to sort of um, start bashing around because it was it was never popular in some quarters. Um, and and um, we, we perhaps don't get into the politics of that today. But um, there, there are you know there are there are legitimate um, uh, concerns about the delivery model in terms of the the actual cost um but i think sometimes that's misquoted and misunderstood so my my dissertation was 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 looking at all of that afresh and because i'd gone back to university and been had been taught a lot of um uh quantitative analytical techniques that um i had assumed i was learning because everybody else used it came as quite a surprise to me when i was speaking to some of those people that i knew very well particularly in scheduling risk and scheduling um, um, evaluation and monitoring, that these quantitatively heavy 
techniques weren't actually being used. Um, and even, I mean, in, in, in the language that perhaps most people understand, using Primavera V6 or those sorts of scheduling tools, um, but also going back to where some of that originated from, going all the way back to the 50s with um, PERDs and Polaris and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I thought that I was just learning what everyone else did and, and understood. But what actually happened was um, um, uh, the monitoring focus and the means by which people got comfortable with that risk was very different to, to what I was expecting it to be, despite the fact that I was you know, living and breathing all of this stuff and ensuring you know, or helping to ensure um, a lot of the revenue risk associated with that for, for a long time. And, 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 and the other side of that is the National Audit Office was saying 80 90% of these projects are handed, out, uh, handed over on time and on budget which is completely sort of um, uh, the opposite experience to what you see in more broadly um, uh, uh, reputed uh, performance of, of particularly government procurement of old, um, particularly in the, you know, from, from the 90s. So the obvious question was, well, if they're not using these techniques, um, but they're actually getting a better result than average, um, what's, what is that actually telling us? Um, you know, are, are we, are we over-egging the, the, the value of data um, and the performance of these sorts of tools, um, or is there something else going on? So that was that was that was the, the premise by which I sort of started this dissertation question. And coming back to what you're asking about the, the 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 interviewing of that, I mean, as a consultant um, and as an advisor, um, I'd, I'd done a lot of interviewing over over the years, but in a very different way, and even consulting interviewing. Which is for me is different to you know facilitative advice as opposed to um, uh, subject advice is is still very different to academic interview and I had to I had to basically learn how to do that afresh to actually make what I was doing relevant. Um, but a lot of that was just in the preparation and 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 just testing that I was able to ask questions in in a way that weren't leading and wasn't actually sort of driving too much um, um, from from different start points or, or trying to sort of um, preempt the conclusions, and in doing that, in just in just allowing myself to just um, continue to let the inquiry evolve, I was able to start um, finding the minutiae of what what was actually going on. Um, and the, I mean the the conclusion of of what I was looking at was was simply that the the, the detail of P six and the detail of scheduling was not used. Um, um, beyond the construction contractor because they didn't need to use the, the detail beyond that. The reality was the um, contractual protections and the contractual, uh, contractual monitoring and the use of a technical advisor to advise the banks was, was basically what they were focused on. And, and that was deemed enough because the, the contractor was left in control of the day-to-day the -day um, issues, if, if there were issues um, on delivery, but it was the, it was the financial security in those contracts that ultimately became the the principal risk management tool, um, and 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 that really surprised me because you know clearly that's not that's not what I, what you'd expect in a partnership. Um, that's a partnership where one party saying, well, well, we'll pay you X, and if 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 it all goes wrong, um, you're protecting us. Um, I've got a lot more to say on that, but I realise I've been sort of giving you about 10 minutes of spill there. So uh, no, I'll take great. That's great. Uh, no, we, we, can, love it. We, we can dive love into it. that again in a sec. Can I, can I jump in there with a question? I, 
you know, there's a lot of PPPs in Australia, a lot. Yes. It seems to be um, party flavor of the decade, let's say. And we've got a lot of economic infrastructure builds, as you mentioned. Um, and I'm just going back to your point around the statistics of success for projects, if we, if we include um, some of those measures that you mentioned from Oxford, et cetera. And is there a correlation then between the PPP and the success of a project? Or are you looking at any of that in your in your study? Yeah, I, well, I, I, that, that was kind of because I wanted to understand what that really meant in terms of you know what what is mm. project success, and yeah. and what what do you mean by on time, and what do you mean exactly. by uh, on budget, and 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 of course, um, as soon as you are looking at uh, something close to a fixed price contract, and as soon as you are looking somewhere close to a very fixed scope of work that probably isn't going to change very much or can't change very much because of the 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 the, the, the mechanics that have actually been set up contractually then mm. there's, there's 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 probably less moving parts in terms of um what can be changed in terms of design and what have you once you start construction um not that it doesn't happen but it, it's 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 more difficult so so yes i was asking well you know when we say on time and on budget um uh to to whose to whose schedule of time and to 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 what budget and 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 obviously when you've got when you've got the, the the experience and this was the other thing about ppp and pfi you know you've got a lot of experienced people doing a lot of um second checking um and putting rigor um and because of the upfront um um pressure on the private sector in terms of you know the the, the whole risk transfer issue is is always almost the value for money demonstration um, to 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 all of the naysayers um, on this on, the, on this type of project. So so all of that becomes um, very focused early on. Um, and whilst I'm not going to say that the the um, the timelines are um, any easier on these sorts of projects, what is certainly happening, I think, is the is is the actual um, potential. To deliver on that time frame, it's being challenged much earlier because the banks are asking the technical advisors to give an opinion um, on all of that. Now, obviously, they're only giving so much opinion because they're, they're, they're still based on on general assumptions and looking at you know key, key key issues that have been identified that are likely to go wrong. But there is still that extra level of of inquiry that's going on. So so success in that regard um, is 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 partly because. Um, there's more understanding of what's actually being asked of um, of, of the counterparty of the contractor. Um, the, ca- the, the contractor is more often than not um, an interested party in the special purpose vehicle. They've they've generally bought um, um, an equity share or, or invested in the SPV, uh, special purpose vehicle. Um, and obviously, the 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 on time on budget. If you're talking about on budget to the government, I mean the government have basically said, well. You know, this is now your risk. So, so, so on budget is is perhaps um, an easier metric to sort of tick against. Um, and the other point is, if 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 you have delayed, or if there have been delays, but they've been delays because of you know um, something that 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 is is beyond the, the 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 statements and the expectations in the contract, or indeed, um, if the government don't actually need the whole hospital. Um, going operational day one, or they don't need um, all of the classrooms because there's a decamp risk that's that's moving into the next term. You know, success mm. can still be achieved despite the fact that you know that's that's technically handed over, 
and it's technically you can start earning revenue, but but um, it, some of the metrics I think start to look a bit different. But what I would say about PFI is that is at least very well defined. Um, I think yeah. in 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 other in other project forms you don't necessarily get the privilege of having um, some some very clear definitions of you know what the handover date is um, by what context um, um, and um, the additional focus on um, 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 on the cost, for example, early doors. But 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 yeah, the the, the metrics are as, as important as the um, as the means by which they're measured. Yeah, yeah. I, I ask because there's some really unusual things where, and you know, I'm, I don't profess to know everything about contracts. It's just certainly not my specialty. But it's great to have you on, Warren, and have your insight. Yeah. And, and I'm no lawyer, just in case anyone's yeah. looking for advice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I guess I guess when we when we think about the project controls context of how these projects get set up, um, we realise that contracts and the way they're structured has some impact on the success of the project. And obviously, you mentioned sometimes partnerships don't always work as they should. And there's this perception that you just you lump all the risk with the partner, and, and it's their problem. Um, but in, in a proper partnership, you share you share the pain, you share the gain. Is meant to be the ide- ideology around that, isn't it? So that whilst you are financing, you're still meant to be a conducive, collaborative, communicative partner. Um, and in some of these projects, in in the, in the particularly in Australia, we've got let's call it one program of work with many sub-projects and you've got sub-projects within that program of work that have separate PPPs and those separate PPPs don't have a collaborative PPP that brings them all together. That to me sounds like a problem and sounds problematic. Is that yeah. something you've encountered before? Uh, well, I, I've certainly seen, I've certainly seen projects where um, an existing estate is not part of the project or I've seen other projects where a, a, an additional estate element is a separate project. Um, I remember one energy from waste project where um, there was an existing energy from waste um, uh, facility, and, and there were basically sort of some additional energy from waste elements being put next to it, and they were being kept separate. Um, mm. uh, so, so yeah, wherever you've got those uh, false interfaces, you've clearly got additional um, human risk issues. I think, yeah. um, which which. Um, Always, I think, begs the question: Is is this actually the most effective way of of, of, of providing um, the outcomes that you want for that um, for that project? And and um, I think invariably the answer is probably no. But but there's there's, there's other reasons that those things happen. You know, be it financial um, or political or or you know the, the 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 multitude of other reasons it could be. But but yes, I've I've certainly seen. A few examples of that, and you don't have to look in PPP for that either. I mean, just look at any, you know, there's, there's plenty of construction examples out there where you've got separate contractors being asked to do separate parts, and how are you, how are you then actually getting those separate parts to co- co- you know collaborate with each other? But beyond that, how are you getting the employer and the contractor to collaborate with each other, and how are you getting the supply chain to collaborate with the main contractor? Um, and and for me, that's that's where that's where a lot of the risk is actually baked into projects that, that, that is only there because of the way they were set up. Um, and that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my driver now in terms of challenging the, 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 what we actually mean by collaboration and, and have projects, have projects almost been set up to fail before they start simply because yeah. of the way that people have chosen um, to maybe start with a contract and look out or start with what they don't know and look at risk management 
um, as a means to identify what needs to be passed on in contract, as opposed to looking at what's likely to to be the um, um, the, the the most likely reasons that you're not going to get what you wanted, you know, for at the start of the project, and 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 using the contract is not the same thing. You're basically saying, um, well, it might go wrong, but we just need to make sure that it's somebody else's uh, financial um, implication, not ours. And and that you know that's that's the opposite of a partnership. That but that's 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 mm. that's what we do. That's what construction is more often than not. Um, and it's and it's you know for me it's 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 not actually a surprise anymore that, that the statistics don't get any better because because we don't we don't try and build those partnerships. No, I think you're right. And I, you know, pointing you back to your point around um, you know when you went in and you, you were surprised that you know some of these basic standards of um, you know data and, and assessing and statistical um, yeah, and, methods and, aren't, aren't being used. No, but, I mean, but it's not a criticism. It's, it's just, you know, it, it was my observation observation mm. and probably my naivety that thinking it was, that's the way it was done. But, 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 but the, the other observation would be, I was at university being taught, taught that the, this is how these things work. But, but, you know, I mean, you had um, Paul Gouge on here a little while ago, didn't you? And, and he was talking about the old sort of, um, G Joe, you know, sort of garbage in, gospel out. Yeah. Um, and that, that's yeah. that's definitely his expression. You know, I think he coined that, didn't he? Um, but but I mean, that's that's the reality of of of, <clears throat> of the challenge of, of of these more complicated data analytics. And and I thought that they used all of that stuff because I was being taught this is how this is what you get out of it. But yeah. you know, more often than not, it's not the case. And I'm sure it's changing. You speak to Martin Paver and all those guys that you've had on. You know they're, they're doing lots to actually sort of up the the ante in terms of data power, um, but you still need to have that commercial um, setup in such a way that you're preserving that data, not allowing it to be manipulated through gamesmanship, um, as as is as is typically having to happen um, when you're asking a contractor to, you know, do what they're doing for one percent or whatever the, the margin is um, at any moment mm. in time. Sorry, there was there was a question there somewhere, Val, and I've, I've completely uh... no, no, no. I think it was more <laughs> an observation and correlation with what you were saying before around the fact that you know, that, uh, and you you touched a point that's you know, yeah, deep to to Dale and I around education and and the standards that I think are are being slipped. And you know, you talk to institutions, which we we talk to all the time, so the PMIs, the ARPMs, the APMs, IPMAs. You know, we need to lift the standard of quality uh, in those monitor and control positions. I think they're really mm. important and around the risk factor as well. And like Dale said at the start, you know, we've got to be careful what we measure as well. Uh, that can be, that can act as an incentive, but probably not in the right direction. Um, so we, we, we also need to make sure that the financial obligations um, don't overrun the performance of the program because ultimately if you're just focusing on the dollar point uh, and the risk back to the government, let's say, or one partner, it, it's not collaborative and, uh, you know, we aren't, we aren't seeing a move in the needle in terms of project success. So something needs no, to change. No. I mean, I mean, there's some really good stuff going on at the moment, though, of course. I mean, if you if you look at what uh, the IPA are doing uh, with, you know, inside Treasury, sort of Nick Smallwood and all those guys and girls, um, there's, there's, there's a big impetus to try and um, up the... Um, the, the capability and up the, the skill base of their mm. project management community as they're describing it. Um, I mean, they're talking about something like 14,000 people that I think have self-declared themselves project management type people. And there, mm. there is a big initiative to sort of, you know, try and um, find ways to, 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 to allow them to upskill 
in their own ways. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's lots of positives there in terms of um, the, the the identified need. Um, but of course, we'll only know in in you know in in, in as, as time goes on whether that is translating into um, buyer power um, changing, i.e., sort of the the, the the collective being able to um, 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 to stand up and be counted more on some of on some of the the real challenges um, in the early stages of setting up projects beyond the stage gates of um, getting um, the, the, this school approved over that school or getting this educational sort of um, yeah. um, policy approved over um, the, the, um, the separate needs of, of hospitals and, uh, and all the rest of it. So, so you know, mm. I, I don't want to sort of just come on here and say, oh, everything's rubbish because there are, there are real sort of, there is real impetus and momentum here that, 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 that has to be applauded. Um, but um, uh, the, the underlying point for me, this question of collaboration, this 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 being an employer who is trying to bring other people into their project and improve the likelihood of the success of that project by getting their potential partners in earlier, or just mm. finding better ways to be better informed before they go out to procurement. You know, those are the big challenges that the construction playbook that's just come out and the sort of the, the continual sort of discussion now. You know, I mean. The whole principle of collaboration it kind of it kind of ebbs and flows it's like you know and and when it comes comes around again people laugh and and just think yeah but you know we're all commercial entities and this is how it's going to be in the next 18 months but mm-hmm. it has to change otherwise we're just going to keep um we're just going to keep coming back to where we are now um and um it, it's it's like i say i i i i expected to just go back to university and learn how to do it better and to be honest i think i've i've, I've gone back to university and, and now just better understood the problem <laughs> yeah brilliant no that's that's perfect uh dale uh get in here i know this is um something you, very topical to you as well no it is it is and i just wanted to rewind a little bit um because i think it's a really great lesson um to to reiterate this part you, you spoke about when you interviewed um for your dissertation that you had to sort of relearn how to ask questions that were non-leading. Yeah. And yeah. I think yeah. I think we all do that subconsciously when we ask questions. We try and lead the witness. And mm. if we can actually pick up that subtle art in our everyday life when we delivering projects, we probably find that we get to solutions quicker and the truth quicker rather than trying to ask a question um, to hear the answer you want to hear. Because, you know, we've spoken about before, if you're a project manager and you go and you report, say, to uh, your senior project manager or project director, if they ask you a question, you've almost preempted the answer because you're going to tell them what you think they want to hear. But if if we're all geared to ask questions in non-leading ways, that would be better, I, I think. Um, and then that would filter through. So then if you're the project manager, you ask a non-leading question to your engineer, to your planner, to whoever it is, so that they don't just give you the answer that they think you want mm. to hear. They give you the real truth and the facts. So I don't know. That, I, that might be a little bit of a rabbit hole going down that one, but I just no, no, really no, wanted I, to I rewind. Think, I think it's, really, it's a really good point. And, and, and whether, whether you're talking about sort of me having to relearn how to do some of that 
so that I have more academic rigor in my interviewing. Um, the, the, the exact same point, I think, can be made um, um, when you're looking at um, um, bad news uh, not being welcomed in a project. And uh, have, you, have you had anyone on yet talking about um, high reliability organisations and, and, and how um, uh, people like Dr, um, forgive me, I'm going to pronounce her name on, but I think it's Leckie, L-E-K-K-E. If you, if, you go, if you go to the National Audit Office, I think it was in 2011, she, she headed up a paper that just gave a new, um, a new summary of what high reliability organisations were. Um, and how they worked. And the whole principle of them is to, to be encouraging um, better news or sort of to, to, to be encouraging the news as opposed to the um, just, just only seeking good news. Um, and, and it's all about um, people being um, um, better informed. It's all about people being um, um, more aware of what's going on on the wider sort of project, but also... Um, the, the 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 management and the setup of management and the setup of the commercial realities um, um, enabling um, enabling that and encouraging that and actually sort of you know um, um, making it clear that if you don't do that um, that's that's not acceptable and 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 so these high reliability organisations and it's not I, I don't think it translates completely to construction because. Um, it just starts to get too complicated when you're looking at, um, you know, as, 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 you, as you get bigger, it just becomes most exponentially more difficult to, to keep that completely um, pure as a, as a point of principle. But the points of principle are still there if, if they want to be. But, but you, 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 need, you need management to be wanting to hear the bad news. You, you need the contractor to be um, hearing from the supply chain or knowing that one of the supply chain you know, one of the vendors has gone bust or was about to go bust. You need you need there to actually be motivations um, and a culture that is that is requiring that to be reported all the way up to the employer, and not to be sort of held at the main contractor's door because mm. it's ultimately just a another another means by which they have to sort of manage um, the the performance. You know, the, the reporting of what's going on. Um, because because we all know that that happens, and, I, and I'm not again I'm not passing judgment or, or putting dispersions out here. If 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 you're telling someone um, the the downside of being late is X, unless um, unless the, the being late is because of something else, then of course you're going to sort of have people um, producing um, reports that are saying we're we're yeah. fine now. Uh, we're just waiting for you to say we need a variation, and on that basis, that's when uh, you know. Well, that that was your fault, not mine. So we 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 can still make money in this job. I'm not saying that that's that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that if if you as an employer are setting your project up um, in 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 that um, 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 abrasive way, then you're really just you know your contracts are just being set up to um, manage the dispute. They're not being set up um, to to manage the project and that that was part of the reason mm. for the poll that we put up earlier um yeah. just to just to sort of get the, the feel for um for for, for 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 how that works i mean just as a as an aside um i interview quite a few of my old um uh loss adjuster mates so so when there's a claim a loss adjuster um is sent onto site and, and is basically sort of giving an opinion 
on um, causation and uh, quantum value of value of a loss. So, so they're they're getting to see what's actually going on on a project. Um, and and in 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 delay and startup, which is the revenue element of of, of cover, um, nobody was able to give me a single example. Nobody was able to give me a single example of where a claim was actually able to be settled based on the um, the opinions of both the employer and the contractor being consistent in terms of where the project was at um, um, at the time of uh, potential delay. Um, and what else was going on in terms of other causes that may have caused the delay. And, and to extend that, I'm yet to find someone in a commercial context who's able to say that they've been able to settle a dispute um, for delay in the wider context um, against that same, that same premise. So if nothing else, that's a demonstration of the reality of the challenge when you're looking at data. You know, yeah. it's, it's a question of who's true for you actually able to, to settle. And when you talk, talk to people who are doing arbitrations and, and um, and 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 trying to sort of, you know trained in dispute settlement, they'll all tell you that you're 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 just looking at the bit that you'll probably have to give up, the bit that you've probably got strength on, and a lot of the time it's just who's got the best records. I mean, how can that how can that be a retrospective look at a project and and for everyone to say, well, that was that was always a collaborative endeavour. Um, we we just um, we just lost sight of uh, the schedule. Well, n- no, there was just two schedules running, wasn't there? As, as there always is, <laughs> more than um, two. In many cases, well, well, okay. yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean we, we, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying so much, but yeah. I'm not saying everything. Yeah. But no, yeah. to your to your first um, question on high reliability organizations, we haven't quite had it put that way, but we have had Colin D. Ellis talk about culture in organizations, and yes, I think. Exactly. I think you're transcending that rather than just within the organization, but how that collaborative collaboration and collaborative effort goes across um, the contract as well between client contractors, subcontractors, and needs to filter all the way through. And I'm, I, I love that you've gone deep with your frustration in that because, you know, we've previously spoken a while as well around how certain contracts, NEC is one of them that tries to, um, encourage collaboration but for me it still struggles to incentivize transparency and that's the key if you can incentivize transparency and sharing of information on a project then all of a sudden there's no gamesmanship it, it would be my opinion but we'll get into that and we'll get into some of the poll results in a second i know val wants to jump in there and comment so val please well warren before we go into the rubber holes because i know we will and <laughs> i'm really enjoying this conversation by the way it's good um what are your top project frustrations? I know we've gone into some of the detail before, but if you, I'm a, I'm a list guy. I like lists. But, <laughs> you you know, in your in your head, there must be top two, three to five nibbling away. You're like, geez, I keep seeing this, and it's very frustrating. What are those top project frustrations for you? Um, okay, so I, I I guess repeating the same mistakes or just finding new and better ways to make the old mistakes, um, and mm. that's an extension of. I guess a podcast that you guys did a little while ago. Yeah, you, you did a lessons learned um, podcast, yeah. didn't you? Um, and, yeah. and that's that's you know for me a lot of a lot of that is 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 capturing lessons learned. And and I don't think I don't think I found anybody that does that well. Um, and and um, when you think no. about the um, the litigious nature of a lot of this type of um, um, environment. Um, it's 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 perhaps not surprising, particularly when you're trying to um, transcend commercial boundaries and and actually learn project lessons, as opposed to 
commercial lessons sitting within one of the actors of a project. Um, but even in that, even in that sort of much smaller space, the the um, the formality of capturing what actually happened and the formality of actually sort of sitting down and saying, well, you know, what do we do well then? Or probably, you know, more often when you're having these conversations is what didn't we do well? Um, very often, I don't think that leaves the um, the, um, the project office. Um, I suspect it never gets written down. And, and, and very rarely do you actually get a um, an opportunity to properly learn learn those lessons so so that's that's mm. definitely one um, another one that just seems to be um a perennial recurrence is change management um, um and what we actually mean by change management and how it's actually dealt with and you know how does that interface with value engineering and how do you how do you actually sort of um square the circle on some of that stuff and 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 the realities of you know what what does that actually look like if you speak to somebody who's commercially minded it, it is literally just the, the commercial change, whereas if you speak to somebody who's who's got design responsibilities, there's there's always going to be that um, potential issue around well, what impact does that have in a broader context, and all of those things, you know, um, 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 are easily um, captured, but similarly easily um, missed. And yeah. uh, I mean that 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 just doesn't seem to get any better either. But, but, but across both of those frustrations, I would say it's this continuation of what we were talking about earlier. It's that, it's, it's, it's that challenge and that um, caustic environment that sits in that inter- interface space um, between, um, uh, between the employer and the contractor. For, for, for anyone who's just listening on radio, by the way, Val, I think, has just um, stopped uh, paying his electricity because the, the lights have just gone out. It's still dark here. Can you believe it? Even at six o'clock in the morning, it's unbelievable. We're in the winter, and now my light's out. Uh, but I'm still listening. I'm still listening intently. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, 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 you were the consummate professional, but you know. Um, <laughs> but I, I, going I'm, back to your I'm point, I guess with a bit of devilment inside. <laughs> I did listen to your top project frustrations, and I have to agree. I think Dale and I were nodding when you were talking about them. The first ones repeating the same mistakes. I mean, that's just frustrating for everybody when we especially long, long lead projects where you've got a 10-year program and we're still not learning from them, um, been there. Knowledge management lessons learned as a point two. Classic idea. I mean, I, you know, we are knowledge workers and the way we, we capture that knowledge management and the way we document it is such an unusual, uh, non-standard field. And so the idea that we can collect, retrieve and recall isn't really a possibility and you can't learn from it unless it's embedded in, in your knowledge workers, uh, which is a great com- a comment. Um, and then change management. Oh my God, change management, which has such an intrinsic value and impact to the project. And yet we, we treat it as an administrative, low-value transactional piece of work where actually yeah. the intent of it is to change something. So there is a massive repercussion for any change on a program and obviously volume of change as well. I think we're seeing on big mega projects that you're getting so much change coming through that it almost makes the the idea of, of, let's say, schedule management or control and monitoring redundant because the schedule that you once had is not the schedule that you have now. And even things like mapping scope and, like you said, value value engineering and obsolescence management, it, it, it does add another layer of complication to projects. So that's a, a great list for anyone listening. Um, Dale, any comments on that? 
Yeah, I was just going to comment. Yeah, I was going to comment on how great you've sort of just fixed your technical issues. You got so passionate about going into the frustrations there. Yeah. You knocked your mic over. Great sound effects there in the in the background. So loving right, it. If, if, if anyone wants to see an example of adaptability and agile working, um, <laughs> <laughs> Val is it. Yeah. yeah. So Val isn't at home, so he doesn't have his normal setup. So uh, he's, he's uh, got everything within knockdown range and he's managed to knock everything down, which is fantastic. A- adds a bit of spice to the show. But Always. Let's, uh, let's jump back into um, those those rabbit holes we spoke about a little bit earlier about collaboration ac- across contracts. Obviously, that's a huge frustration. We've spoken quite a bit about that. But I think mm. you were trying to um, gather a bit of information around that from the poll that you recently put out, Warren. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I wonder if you could just sort of give the set the scene for those that didn't see the poll and perhaps what of some of the, the feedback, the comments that you got um, through that and, and why you put that poll, that specific poll up. Yeah, so, so, so I, I, I just wanted to sort of um, have an opportunity to, to, to bring in the question of um, critical control environments. And, and I know sort of from, 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 background of of the pair of you and and certainly a lot of the conversation that is that has had been had on um on other um podcast um, episodes that you've had that, that that obviously this control environment generally is a very key part of um the interface into a, a lot of the the, the the listenership um on your podcast but 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 part of the part of the the frustration i have and part of the i guess the wider observation is that 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 Again, again, in the context of uh, definitions, that actually means very different things to different people. And so, so I asked the question from a from a, um, a construction perspective, um, what um, people felt the critical control control environment was best described as being. And I gave four options of delegated um, via a main contract, um, informed by contract reporting. So those first two are quite similar, but one is talking about you just passing the control obligations on to someone else. The other is you're receiving the information and therefore retaining some level of control as the employer. Um, uh, the other two were single and shared controls or separate interlinked controls. So, so in all in all of those cases, there are there are sort of there's an onus on either it sitting with the employer or it's sitting with the contractor or it's sitting. Um, in both camps, or indeed, you know, the single and shared controls. Um, the example there was that it's that it's that it's actually one set that's shared by everybody. Um, and I mean, the poll. I mean, it was it was it was what um, twenty people voted. But I mean, the, the the people I asked to to sort of have a look. They, I mean, there's there's a there's there's some pretty um, pretty well respected academics amongst them. There's there's some pretty senior um, uh, commercial people amongst amongst all of those. And and actually, um, more than a more than a few people who are actually on the um, the pit face of, of actually dealing with these sorts of control environments. So the fact that we've got um, a split um, where, uh, well, uh, separate interlinked controls um, comes out at 38% and uh, on 21 votes, I don't think we can take too much from the percentages. Sure. It's a um, um, uh, delegated via main contract is uh, 29% and the other two, um, are sort of you know 15 20% so 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 it shows that there's a there's a mix there and 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 I'm not actually saying that there's a, there's a there's a right or wrong answer here because I think you do actually find in in 
commercial contracts or in construction contracts that a lot of people are only leaning on the main contract. And and I know, um, um, Dale, you had a you, know, you 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 input into this as well. And 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 obviously, sort of from a from an employer perspective, or indeed if you're the main contractor and you're the commercial lead, um, you, you're going to be very focused on this because this is going to be dealing with that that um, uh, the reality of um, how the construction part of a bigger project, which I think from for example TFL's perspective, that's how you'll be looking at construction. Yeah. It is just part of a bigger project. Um, you, you are you are looking at sort of those specifics, um, whereas quite a few other people were talking about separate interlinked controls and saying, well, you know, what what the employer needs to know and what the contractor needs to know and what the contractor needs to know from his supply chain aren't necessarily the same thing. So you are going to have your own control environments and there's going to be an interface. Um, I think that the 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 um, the ideal um, would be that you actually are doing both, that you are creating, you know, as an employer, as an informed, educated in, uh, employer or an employer who's prepared to bring um, uh, additional resource in to make you that informed, prepared um, um, buyer. Um, if you're actually giving thought to the actual expectations of the project, what your priorities are, you know, if, if, if you were going to say time, cost, quality, you're going to look at benefits, you're going to look at um, uh uh, interfaces with other people what is the priority what is the you know what, what is it realistically that we are we are not prepared to sacrifice what can we sacrifice or what need, do we need to sacrifice what information don't we yet know all of that sort of holistic discussion probably with other people um, um contributing to that as well then enables you to start having a better idea of well in which case what do we need to be focused on in our controls how do we need to actually set those controls up um, who are we going to be um, bringing into um, the project and uh, what is the capability and the expectation from those other sides? What is that control environment that we can either be um, building so that we can interface better or that we're actually using and creating together? And with that, having been informed by that and knowing what is not yet known, or at least having an idea of what we don't yet know, you can then start to say, okay, so what what do we now need to have Um delegated formally in a contract that 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 helps to represent that better so you see so if you can have both then you've actually got them working together properly and and so I, i'm not surprised at all that a lot of people have talked about main contracts i'm not surprised at all that people have um you know talked about um uh, controls in a different context i mean somebody said to me through an interview some time ago that if you change your project manager um and the project manager um, came from a commercial background and the new project management came from a more operational um, or, or, or interface um, um, perspective, um, their idea of what the control environment needs to look like will be very different. Um, and, and one will be worried about the reporting to the client um, and the report is bit, you know the reports being received from the supply chain. The other is much more focused on the drivers around uh, whatever those critical controls are in terms of um, performance and resourcing and, and all the rest of it. But the reality is, of course, you know, if, if you're not doing both and, and there, you know, from a PMO perspective, you will, I'm sure, be being driven and being informed in different ways on different contracts for different reasons. But all of that, to me, just just ends up being part of the same the same set of challenges and the same set of needs. And, and, and in not setting that up right and not identifying that early, you're, you're baking risk into projects because you're 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 essentially just 
um, either not grabbing that in its entirety or you're just saying we only really need to rely on the contract. We don't need to worry about monitoring. We don't need to necessarily understand quite so much detail what is actually going on day to day. And if the, if someone's lying to me, um, um, it's, it's their LADs, it's their liquidated damages. So so we don't need that extra money being spent on rigor. And 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 that's where the trust gets lost. You know, if 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 you're operating in a low trust environment to begin with, and you then say, well, we're not going to check what you're doing, or we're not going to sort of get involved in in helping when things go wrong, or we're not going to get involved in in making sure that you know everything you need to know to do this properly. Um, you're 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 just leaning more and more heavily on the contract, and by extension, you're just creating a a bigger and bigger divide between you and your counterparty. And by extension, you're 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 showing up ready for a dispute. You're not showing up um, uh, to intervene um, and improve the likelihood of success. Uh, absolutely, I agree with that. And um, I th- I think if there were buttons where you could vote for both, probably you, you need that balance, right? <laughs> well, uh, uh, but the point was, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you're talking about a priority, then people are going to say, well, that's 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 what I have to focus on. Yeah. You know, that's that's mm. those are the metrics by which you know the strings get for me yeah. um, but the point is it's it's you can only be holistic if everybody is working within the whole and yeah and people don't you know people are working to their commercial realities and often you find that the two aren't necessarily playing nicely together <laughs> so well they start off saying they're going to be playing nicely together and, and of course exactly. that only happens until um something starts looking like it's going wrong and coming back to what you're saying earlier about you know um the junior not wanting to give bad news to the senior guy or girl. Um, mm. All of that is is just an extension of this same point. I mean, and I go I go even further. You know, in in, in the PFI inquiry I was making, um, once the lenders had lost some of their leverage in terms of um, being the most risk averse party to these projects and insisting on the rigor, once some of that could start to be traded away um, because of competitive expectations. You know, and by which I mean sort of the the the, uh, the motivation to actually continue trying to find the problem uh, rather than just facilitating financial close and moving on to the next one. Once 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 that started, and once you know the clock of works disappeared almost immediately, but that was that was as much to do with design and build as it was to do with uh, um, um, PFI. But um, once the um, independent certifier was being asked to just sort of, you know, squeeze what they were actually doing and sampling and all the way. So once once all of these things start, you know, once all of these layers of rigor start getting eroded and getting eroded because the banks no longer have the whip hand and the equity interest is able to start looking at things in a different way. And if the, if the building contractor's got some equity interest and they're saying, well, hang on, you've been shaving me every time we've, we've done one of these jobs and the government's now under pressure to be saving money. And so... Um, all of this is starting to be squeezed, and the easiest squeeze is to well, I trust myself to actually build, so I don't need that level of rigor in the same way as we perhaps did in two thousand and one. You know, all of these squeezes, you can kind of get it, you understand it, but at the same time, that ain't that ain't necessarily you know the framework that 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 that, that was defining PFI um, starts to look quite different to the the, the, the varying. And pressures and the commercial changes, you know, the, dyna- the dynamic systems, if you look right at this big economic piece, the banking dynamic systems, the contracting dynamic systems, the government dynamic systems, all of those interplays. And if you've got the rigor moving, 
because someone else is calling the shots or having more leverage in the shots, the risk profile has changed. And the risk profile has changed simply because of those changes in the dynamics. It's nothing to, you know, the same hospital or the same school built in 2001 versus 2010 um, is, is a different risk simply because of the, 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 the bigger changes. You're right. It's crazy how you can link sort of these technical aspects um, or contractual aspects to behaviors, right? It, it, it's, it's, yeah, and, it's and crazy. You, I mean, this is the psychology bit we were talking about before, wasn't it? Sort of the, the yeah, you're, you're talking about low levels of trust uh, be, uh, and trust meaning people are potentially able to behave badly. But rather than then starting to look at them more closely, um, or get someone else in to give you a second opinion, you're just um, not doing anything any different. Well, how can you possibly, you know, maintain that same level of yeah. um, 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 status quo in terms of rigor and all this? Well, the only way that you can be doing that is because you're trusting your contract more than you're yeah. trusting your counterparty. And by extension, um, you are just as uncollaborative as the person you're not trusting. Exactly. Mm. Warren, I just want to ask one more question before I hand to Val. Um, yeah. And I want to shift gear slightly, um, and we we need to to get into uh, you know this continuous self improvement um, oh, yeah, and share yeah. and share yeah. your journey because I think there's a lot of people out there that wonder how we reset in your words ourselves and how we you know look for other ways and avenues to build up um, our knowledge and expertise and insight, etc. I mean, one way we always promote is listen to the Project Shadow podcast every week. Boom! I was getting good there. Boom. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I, I also know that you've been um, you've been fairly open that you you struggle a little bit with mental health, and I wonder yeah, did that yeah. play a part in your decision? I wonder if you wanted to share a little bit about that struggle and how that moved in. But I, I'm, I'm more, happy to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in totally up to you. But yeah, more yeah, key yeah, about I, how I, that I, played. I, yeah. I, I speak openly about this, and 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 you know, I, I think I think society is now in a place where. Um, there's more confidence to be able to speak openly about this. And I, I, I certainly think, um, you know, you don't have to look far on LinkedIn to sort of see that these these issues are actually very real. And obviously with lockdown and all the rest of it, I can't imagine it's got any easier. But, yeah, I, I had some real um, had some real problems, and it was only a couple of years ago. Um, and, and to put it into context, and, again, being completely transparent about it, you know, suicidally so, um and um it was it was sort of only getting right down into those 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 deepest depths um that i was i was really sort of forced to um to start questioning um some of the some of the basics and and the basics were you know what what is it i'm i'm actually motivated by what are, what are my goals what is what you know what is what is good to me and and it wasn't you know it wasn't earning x amount of money it wasn't sort of you know um continuing to sort of try and get more promotions and all the rest of it it was um um i, I just had all of my priorities upside down and um it was only you know I, I really wish i'd sort of been able to 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 come to some of that revelation without having to um put my wife and others through through you know inevitably what, what i did um but it was it was it was only having sort of hit those those lows that um, I was then um, I was then able to start you know going to therapy and start learning psychology 101 because I, I am I, I'm, I'm a um, I'm an inquisitive soul and 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 once once something sort of gets under my skin I need to know 
I need to know a lot about it. And so the psychology became, you know, it was, it was, it was therapy, but it was also education. And so, mm. so that kind of started um, my journey back, I suppose. Um, and, and I found a really good therapist who I now use just because, um, you know, it's a bit like going to the gym. It's, uh, it's maintenance, not necessarily, you know, um, um, dealing with um, demons anymore, but it, it, it's, it was just part of, you know, it was, it was, it was the start of that journey. But I mean, I mean, I don't think I've been like that for, it's not like I've been like that for 25 years. It's, it's just, it was just something that sort of built up inside me. Um, and, and they talk about the, the, um, uh, the, uh, depression cycle sort of, you know, the, the, the downward spiral and but, but by definition, there's also the upward spiral that you can sort of then start building out of. And so, so one side sort of gone far enough down um, in that spiral to the point that you know there was a moment on London Bridge that if the if high tide had been there, maybe um, 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 maybe I'd have got wet. Um, but 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 um, sort of moving up from that, um, everything then starts sort of looking a bit different. And and once you're able to start prioritising in the right ways, um, all of this starts to sort of just just grow into something new and. And that was part of the reason I went back to university because I felt I, you know, there was definitely something in me that I wanted to learn more. And, and, and I'd, I'd always sort of um, done that to some extent, but career and money and paying the mortgage and, and all of that stuff, you know, is, is clearly, it doesn't go away. Mm. Um, but, 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 but I got to a point that um, I'd, <clears throat> um, I'd probably sacrificed, you know, quite a lot in terms of, um holidays and stuff and i'd always been heavily paying the mortgage off so i mean i i, I financially we were actually in a reasonable place um, um so i was able to make some decisions that maybe other people couldn't um but i went back to university because i just wanted to know more and and once once i became the nerd again um um just learning my master's wasn't enough i i you know uh, the psychology became I and mean, i very nearly did a psychology master's um, and I, I sort of decided not to do that because I got such an interest in psychology that I figured I'd learn it anyway. Um, mm. What I didn't have so much interest in was maths. Um, I was never a maths guy, but um, I'm, you know, um, even before I was crazy, I was crazy. So, so um, um, uh, I was, I, I decided, well, whatever the whatever the most difficult choice is, I'm going to take that, and that's kind of a mantra I lived with. Um, quite a lot anyway. So, so I went back to university and, and chose a maths heavy uh, version of project management. And, 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 and just to put it into context, I had to look up calculus in a dictionary um, mm. to, to, to um, uh, when I first started that master's. Um, and within about a month, um, I was, you know, quite heavily into integration and um, all of that sort of stuff. And, and, and then the probability and everything else came on top. So, so, so that was that was that part of the journey, but beyond all of that, um, once I started realizing that um, I was only going to be taught so much and the answers weren't actually known, um, it kind of just grew into something else. And, and then suddenly, the psychology and the risk and the project management became these three parts of a puzzle <clears throat> that now just look like part of the same thing for me. Um, and it's and it's fantastic when you've been learning for long enough and you've been asking stupid questions for long enough that um those very what feel like very disparate 
um, uh, thoughts um, and subjects start to overlap. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm still in the early days of, of, of some of my learning around some of that. I mean, I've, I spent the last three months reading philosophy just because I think there's, there's some hidden answers in, particularly in and around truth and behaviour and, and, you know, uh, the human journey that that, that, that that need me to understand some of that. So if I do eventually decide to go and do a PhD, for example, um, I'll feel better armed for having done all of that. But but mm. but but the advice for 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 just learning is is just is just keep keep doing it. And anyone that says um you've missed your missed your opportunity if you if you don't start doing that, you know, if, if you've if you've hit 25 and you've not learned everything you think you need to know. Um, that's that's nonsense. Um, I actually feel um, more capable of learning now than um, th- than I ever felt I did at school. And Val, I mean, you must be the same. I mean, you're and, and Dad, I mean, you, but you're both you're both. But if you may, if you may allow me to say, you're both pretty nerdy in terms of the amount of extra reading you do. Uh, <laughs> Huge it's, it's compliment. Not just, it's, 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 it's not it's not just me on this podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> 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 now you're in good company, Warren. Um, you know, thank you for sharing, by the way. I think um, we, we really appreciate when people come on and they're very transparent and open like you are. And um, obviously these are, these are difficult things to, to deal with and bring to the forefront, but, but obviously you've, you've dealt with it and you've found your, your why we talk about this a lot. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and, and the, and the pursuit isn't actually around happiness. The pursuit is around purpose and meaning. And I think through the, through the context of the work that you found, you've, as a specialist, you've started to synthesize all of those into your personality and they, they bring you joy to some degree and you're an avid learner. And that the idea of continuous self-development, as you said, it, it's, it needs to be also outside the bounds of your, of your subject matter. I think you, you learn things. Um, like, for example, I do um, basketball coaching for my daughter's team, but it has nothing to do with – it's very difficult from a time perspective. As you know, we're all time poor. But, but from a from the context of understanding how to coach and then bring that back in to how I talk and relate to people in my work life, um, there's synergies between that. And I think that's that's the idea um, is is to build blocks in various subject matters. Like you said, philosophy is a great subject matter. I mean, you could re- really get lost in there. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, we are losing the we are losing the audience now, you know. But that's all right. I think we are. I think. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't start with philosophy. I think is probably <laughs> not so I mean, if, if if anything, I'd probably say, um, if you if you're trying to work out what you need to learn next, it's it's learn learn yourself, uh, learn learn ways to actually know yourself, um, because mm. I I think I mean you know Val, you've probably done more psychology reading than me by now, but 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 all of those very disparate. Um, thoughts around uh, what psychology is and whether you're a behaviorist or whether you're, you know, sort of going right back to Jungian and Freudian type psychology, all of everybody is sort of saying, well, you know, you need to understand what you're dealing with. And, and I mean, I was, I was always quite empathetic, I suppose, but, but it's, it's, it's actually learning what that actually looks like. And, and just, just the, the, the very thin layer that anybody sees of anybody else and probably hides from themselves as much as they hide from everybody else. You know, once you start to realize that, that, that everybody does that number one, yeah. but, but also that, 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 you know, my flavor and your flavor is not necessarily the same. And then, you know, if you can, you can read typologies about, you know, Myers Briggs and, um, uh, uh, big five and, 
Enneagram yeah. and all of those things. I mean, I, I've done all of that. I, I, I love all that stuff. It's, you know, it's just proper nerd stuff, yeah? But but all of those things for me just gave me a, gave me an extra means to understand um, why I thought in certain ways or why I looked for certain things or why I behaved in certain ways. And once you once you start to understand what you are and what you need and what you fear, you can then start working much better on what yeah. else you want to know or need to know. And and so you know don't don't just think I need to learn everything about project management because I want to be a project manager. Um, you know, just just work out your own project uh, and manage that, and then and then yeah. work out from there. That yeah, that's wisdom beyond our years, uh, Warren. But it's great to have you uh, provide that input and that reminder. I think refreshes and reminders on this podcast. While it might be a bit contextual, we might have lost the audience when we started talking about philosophy. <laughs> I think I think the concept. I think the concept is there that you know you, you, behavior as part of leadership in projects as well, if we bring this back to the context, it's so mm. important. And I think back to self-education and self-development, there's not enough, I think, inquiry into understanding where you're at in your life and what you're looking for, but also then applying um, behavioral or psychology methods into your your business as usual, you know, your studies like project management and project controls or whatever you're doing. Um, behavior is, is actually really the thing that brings it all together. And I had this idea while you're talking. I think we figured this out how to make projects better. We need a we need to figure out an incentive or a KPI around culture, because if the correlation between culture to productivity is there, which we know it is, there is actually not correlation. There's a causation. There's if you have a good culture, you have productive people. If you have productive people, then maybe there's a correlation to a successful project or successful successful delivery. So maybe we come up with a culture fix. We come up with a, we get Colin D. Ellis, we get Warren together, Dale, and we figure out how can we incentivize culture. Maybe you put it, you attach it to a director's bonus or something. I don't know. But, you know, you figure out a way that culture drives the project incentives, not just cost, time, and quality. And actually, yeah, I think, actually, yeah. in, in turn, I think that would actually drive those other three in the, tri- the iron triangle. Well, well I mean, um, when, I mean, offline, I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no way we can sort of talk about the detail of this. Um, um, without some visual aid i don't think but i but i as part of my dissertation evaluation did start building a model that was challenging um the framework of a project Mm. um against the um core objectives of the project and and saying well if, if if we can demonstrate that the framework that's been chosen is not actually fit for purpose for the type of project that we're talking about then you can use the potential um, uh, uh, impact um, of people having their own agendas and not having the project agenda at the centre of their decision-making and focus. If you can start looking at, therefore, that potential for breach of trust or no trust, if you can start looking at the potential for malevolent behaviour in a Mm. project, and malevolent behaviour is just as capable by the people setting up the project as it is the people executing the project um, and look at the level of visibility um, associated with the project. If, if, if on those metrics, the framework doesn't look like it's tight enough around the project, then you can start saying, well, is another framework better? And if another framework is better, you've got the start of a measurement because you've got better, worse, and then you've got um, highest low yeah. um lowest and and if 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 an employer comes to a set of contractors and says i want you to tender on this 
And by this model, you can say, well, why are you using that framework and not this one? You're actually baking risk into a project and you're now asking things of me that are malevolent, you know, that they're against my interest, they're, they're in your interest only, or mm. they're against the interest of the supply chain, or they're against the interest of the parties around the project, or they're not environmentally sound. Um, and so the, the planet actually becomes another of the actors in the project. If you can say, well, is is it are all of the, is the safety of all of those parties mm. central to your project? And if the answer to that is no, then you've actually start you start to get another means to actually look at other reasons why a project might might fail. So rather than just looking at bricks and mortar and ground conditions and uh, supply issues, just start looking at human behaviour and uh, the realities of the decisions that have been made early on the setup of a project being malevolent to the um, uh, the objectives of the project. That's brilliant, Warren. Uh, I. I agree. That's a offline discussion, but I, yeah. I love the I love the I love the I concept. Still, I, still, I still took five minutes explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, Dale. Over to you, mate. Thanks, Fel. Uh, so, Warren, there's no surprises because you listen to every episode. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is yeah. the feature: defend the indefensible. You know how it goes. Uh, you have to f- defend a ridiculous statement uh, for yeah. 30 seconds, and you have to defend the statement by arguing for it, so not against yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is a ridiculous statement. Uh, we usually have Martin on for this, but he's had some Wi-Fi issues, so he's he's had to drop off. Um, but he has left us with a pearler, I, I think. So Brilliant. are you ready, Warren? Yeah, I am. In. You yeah, are, I'm okay. 30, 30 minutes, yeah. 30 minutes? <laughs> yeah, I go 30 seconds. <laughs> Starting already. Okay, so you have 30 seconds to defend the following statement. Dum, dum, dum. We need to be commercially astute at all costs. Well, we do. Uh, I mean, the reality is you cannot um, expect people to be uh, not entertaining the prospect of an upside in a project. And in any environment where you are engaging commercial entities, the only metric that is going to keep their employees and their shareholders happy is some commercial realism. So commercial expectations are central to a project, um, but it should be everybody's commercial interests, not just those of an individual party within the project. Is that awesome. 30 seconds? It is 30 seconds. I love how Perfect. you brought that in and made it, rounded it off. Um, <laughs> after one. we've been talking about the frustration of how we don't administer or play nice in the contractual yeah, well, well, just, 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 Just play fair. Yeah, you know, exactly. everybody everybody should be entitled to and expect a fair return for their endeavour um, mm-hmm. in a project environment. And Agreed. you know, if 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 we were if if we were in the Middle Ages and you know you were a you were a sort of you know if you were Arthur at the Round Table and you asked five knights to do something with you, that shared endeavour should be um, entered into in the understanding that you've got each other's backs. And if you're not actually starting from that premise. What are you actually asking people to do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, this podcast episode has, I think it's the most complete episode we've had. It's had it all. We've gone deep geek or nerd, as you said. Um, We've touched on some of the deeper mental health issues. And thank you so much for sharing. Um, That was very, very, 
um, kind of you to share because a lot of people go through these struggles and they don't actually share or they don't know how to share. So um, appreciate that as well. We had the animated Val um, not at home, knocking over his light and his microphone. It was fantastic. Yeah. We had all yeah, the pyrotechnics. Yeah, disaster recovery plan. Um, um, <laughs> Sorted out. Like, yeah. like a pro. <laughs> you should have taken out um, insurance with you, Warren, well, before yeah. we hit record. Uh, but no, it's been, it's been so you much fun. You don't need insurance if you've dealt with it properly, yeah? <laughs> it has been so much Not fun we, ain't, uh, yeah um, exactly game changing. yeah exactly exactly but no you know we, we we thought it was going to be fun it has been fun um we got a comment on the profile picture you sent as well amazing profile picture i think we got a few likes just purely on that picture um so thank you for that but as we head to the end of the pod what are your final thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with um okay so I, I don't know how positive or negative some of that has sounded, but I mean, I, there is lots to be positive about, and there's there's lots of people out there that are trying to get to the same space. You, you don't you don't meet people who are intentionally trying to be malevolent in in well, not many um, in 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 what they're trying to do. Um, and I think the more we talk, the more we uh, exchange views, the more we're able to actually um, get in front of people early in project environments. Um, the sooner we're going to find better solutions. Um, but it's, it's, it's a collective effort. You know, the, the project to make projects better is the first stage in collaboration. Brilliant. Great advice. And I'm sure people are listening to that and noting it down. If they're not, they should be. Well, any <laughs> final thoughts? Oh, it's great to have you on, Warren. Um, it was a pleasure as well. We got to see uh, the full beard and hair. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, the full, in, the in full, real time, which was fantastic. The full Robinson Crusoe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but honestly, from my perspective, it was great. I, you know, I'm fascinated by the construct on constructs of these PPPs and how they work, and your, your your method around. You know, it needs to be collaboration, and it needs to be a fair table. I mean, that that's what we want. We want this to be a fair game. Um, we went all over the place, but there were so many interesting things. Um, I think it was really good that we could articulate some of the project frustrations, which I'm probably, I'm sure, people nodding their head as they're listening to that, or when they do listen to it. And uh, and also the stuff we talked about with culture and continuous self development. I think that that for us is is what we want. We want to we want to we want a culture within projects of self initiating, self developing, self improving people who are knowledge workers who have access to the right tools at the right time to do the right job. And that should have an, a, some type of impact on the needle. It should move the needle in the right direction, hopefully. But thanks for your time today, mate. Thank you. Really, I really enjoyed that. Thanks for inviting me along. No, brilliant. It has been our pleasure. And well, folks, that is all the time we have for on this episode, but it doesn't have to stop here. Support our charities and access blogs at projectchatterpodcast.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe on our YouTube channel and your favorite podcast player so you don't miss the next one. A big thank you to our guest, Mr. Warren Beardhall, and thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me, Val, and an absent Martin, it's bye for now. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.